There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to Switched On Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And I'm musicologist Sloan. Nate Sloan. You've already ruined my bit, <laughs> but what do you think of when I play this chord? I think of a screen slowly being covered with blood as we witness <laughs> the intro to a James Bond movie. Yes, exactly. Recently, the final film in the Daniel Craig James Bond era was released. It's called No Time to Die after a nearly two-year delay. And it continues one of the most iconic musical themes in pop culture. What I want to do today is understand where does this James Bond sound come from? How does it inform the creation of the whole idea of the Bond song? You know those songs in the opening sequence? Oh, I know, Charles. Done by pop stars? You know what's up? Oh, yeah. And maybe we can ask, what does it all mean? I am so down. I had a cassette tape with the original James Bond theme when I was in, like, middle school that I (laughs) wore out. I love this soundtrack, and I want to learn more about it. Where do we start? Where are we going? Take me on this journey. Original 1962 release of the James Bond theme from Dr. No, it is completely timeless. Mm. I totally agree. And yet, listening to it now, one thing that strikes me is just how richly orchestrated this theme is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The song is crafted with the lushness to reflect the Playboy aesthetic Mm. that James Bond is and was when he was first created in the 1950s as a sort of male escapist fantasy by Ian Fleming, the author and former British naval intelligence officer. He wrote it at his Golden Eye estate in Jamaica (laughs) to distract himself from his pending wedding to his pregnant fiance. And in so many ways, the music, I think, does perfectly reflect the character. Are you saying this is the musical personification of toxic masculinity? Yeah, more or less, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you've got a flandering spy who drinks heavily, somehow Mm. finds a lot of time for romance in between international espionage. Okay, but in actuality, like, does the music actually project that? Totally. I mean, I think that what you hear is this sort of, like, very modern mashup of a bunch of different genres that that Playboy (laughs) character might be listening to at the end of his day while he's sitting down to drink his martini, right? You've got jazzy bebop chords, but he's not square. He doesn't only listen to jazz. He's also contemporary. He's into pop music, surf guitar. 
And you know, he's someone who has a lot of class. He shows up to dinner in a full black tie recalia. And so he's going to play some classical pop and big band swing. Okay, yeah, I'm buying. It sounds like he's got a pretty uh, diverse record collection that he likes to put on the hi-fi at his space-age bachelor pad. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And as inescapable as this theme is today, it almost never happened. (laughs) Dun-dun-dun! All right, let me explain. We need to hear that chord again after that cliffhanger. (laughs) Okay, go on. Okay, originally, the singer, songwriter, and composer Monty Norman is brought on to score Dr. No. And he goes on this research trip to Jamaica. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. this, but Dr. No takes place primarily in Jamaica. And the music that he composes originally is very influenced by the sounds that he's hearing in Kingston. For example, this song, Under the Mango Tree, which makes it into the film and is heard many times, was originally going to be the opening song and the main theme. The history of the theme I picked up from a book called The Music of James Bond, and it made me think about an alternate universe in which, you know, Daniel Craig walks out in a suit and tie, jumps off a bridge, and then cut to (laughs) under the mango tree. Exactly. Exactly. A weird alternate history to this entire franchise, for sure. And it's totally not working for the film producers. They're like, Norman, go try to do some other stuff. And so he writes another attempt called Dr. No's Fantasy. Getting closer here, right? Has a little bit of that surf vibe, the swinging drums. But it still isn't quite working for the producers and they're like do you you have anything else and Norman's like yeah I've got this trunk song like a song that I wrote a long time ago it's been sitting in the trunk Mm. it's really different but maybe the theme could work I was born with this unlucky sneeze and what is worse I came into the world the wrong way round pundits all agree that I'm the reason why my father fell into the village pond and drowned WTF is this orientalist exoticized <laughs> claptrap that I am listening to yeah, for, real, for real I yeah. hate it Yeah, but please explain Okay, so basically he had written Good Sign, Bad Sign, the song. It was composed for a musical adaptation of the novel A House for Mr. Bissoise, uh, which takes place in a Trinidadian community. And it never aired and was actually only recorded later in 2005. But he had this melody and they thought, well, maybe we could do something with it. Thank God that never aired because that was the cringiest thing I've ever heard and offensive on every possible level. Just as unsettled as you are, I think the producers of the film are still like, you know, Monty, I don't know. Let's bring in somebody else to help out with this theme song. 
And so they recruit the arranger, John Barry, who at the time had dozens of hits in British rock and roll. He was a writer of TV theme songs, and he came highly recommended. And so Barry comes in. He also has the most important qualification for working on the music of a James Bond film, which is that you have two first names, Monty (laughs) Norman, John Barry. Sorry, Charlie, you were saying. Not only did he have the right name, but he also had the right vibe going. He had recently written a theme for the film Beat Girl, which is really getting quite close to what we're going to hear in James Bond. Okay, that slap. Someone needs to sample that (laughs) stat. It's a hot beat. I'm getting the sense that this John Barry dude is going to be very important in making this theme sound the way we know it to be. Yes, you're spot on. Barry said that he wanted Bond to be a mix of all kinds of different things. Jazz, classics, pop. He wanted a Bond style. And I think we have to understand it as a mashup. Today, when we hear the James Bond theme, we think this is the sound of spy music. But like all original creations, it's a compilation of so many influences. Hmm. And so I've been digging through archives of classic playlists, trying to find the sounds of that era that might have been influencing what eventually becomes the James Bond theme. And one of the most important elements that we hear is that opening chord progression. This chromatic ascent and descent. Yeah, if you were into the world of jazz of that era, just a few years before James Bond, in 1954, Miles Davis played similar chords and melodies on It Never Entered My Mind. In fact, that chromatic sound was so popular that you could even hear it in pop music. You could hear a bit of that same melody on Roy Orbison's Crying from 1961, just a year before Bond was released. And even though it was released just after the Bond theme, you can tell people love this sound. You can hear the same thing on Quincy Jones's first hit, It's My Party with Leslie Gore. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. Cry if I want to. Cry if I want to. You would cry too if it happened to you. In all three cases, you get that da 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 kind of sound. Okay, I love locating that undulating chromatic line that is so iconic in this song within its like late 50s early 60s context. And I just have to say Charlie before we move on from this, one of my favorite factoids that I've ever learned in making our show yeah. is that when Smash Mouth recorded All Star, yeah. They used that same James Bond chromaticism (laughs) 
<laughs> in the chorus of All Star, according to their songwriter, Greg Camp. Hey now, you're an All Star. Get your game on, go play. I love it. That little motive has some real longevity. It totally does. And it's not the only reference that John Barry's pulling from. He said that he thought of the Bond theme as sort of like a Dizzy Gillespie style lick. Hmm. And I think all of that swing vibe that you're hearing, where the bass starts to walk. Dang, is that reminiscent of A Night in Tunisia by Dizzy Gillespie. Mm. Things are starting mysterious, and then they're going to get bombastic, and that bass is going to start to walk. I mean, now I understand why I love this theme so much as a kid and used to listen to it all the time on cassette. It's a big band swing composition, basically. It's like it was right in my jazz wheelhouse. Totally. But not only, because it's also a surf rock thing. Right. You know, in 1958, the composer Henry Mancini had done the Peter Gunn theme song for the TV show, and it's kind of moving into that surf realm. We know Barry was very into this sound. He took the song Walk, Don't Run, a Johnny Smith hit from the 50s. And did his own surf rendition just a few years before Bond was released. Here's the John Barry 7, Walk, Don't Run. player on both of those, by the way, named Vic Flick, was paid just seven pounds for his participation in recording the James Bond theme. Shut up. Seven pounds is some of the most iconic guitar player of the 20th century, and his name is Vic Flick. It's a travesty. You know, of all these references, we're forgetting one of the most important, the place where it all began today. Do you recognize that from anywhere else? It sounds like the the chord you would play at the very end of like a minor key ballad. <laughs> yeah. Is it a minor major chord? Yes, it is a minor major 7 with a 9. Is there somewhere specific you'd hear that that I'm not thinking of? This chord is also called the Hitchcock chord. Oh. You would have heard this in the theme for Psycho. You also hear it in North by Northwest. It's in Vertigo. The composer, Bernard Herrmann, loved this sound. And there's a good reason why this Hitchcock chord gets passed on to Bond. And it has to do with exactly what you said about it. This is one of these weird chords. It's called a minor major seven. Yeah. It has so much ambiguity, dissonance, and complexity in this single tonality. Yeah, it's like a chimerical chord. It's got on its bottom a minor triad. 
and on the top, it's got a major triad. And when you put them together, <laughs> you just have such a unique, intense, crunchy, it's a very evocative sound. What's cool is that you can call this bitonality, right? You have one chord, another chord stacked together, create a whole nother thing. And within it are all these dissonances. Mm. In the middle, there's even this augmented chord, the same mm. sound that we hear in Bond. It's so fitting for James Bond because not only is it drawing on the cinematic history of the tension that we get from Hitchcock, but it also, I think, represents this dueling personality, the playboy spy, who's on one hand responsible for saving the world over and over and over again, while simultaneously continuing a tradition of toxic masculinity, which I think the series is desperately trying to separate itself from. Mm. Okay, so we have this chromatic harmonic undulation at the beginning. We've got a little dollop of 1960s surf guitar. We have this big band jazz bebop arrangement. Yep. And then to tie it all together, we've got this mysterious minor major seven chord. That's right. And what I'm hearing is when you mix all this together, you get the musical personification of James Bond, the character, and the themes of the series. And, you know, it makes me hear the series kind of in a new light. But it also leaves me with a question, which is, like, how do we get from from there to here? Like, you've just said that the series is trying to project a new image, trying to remake itself. How are they going to take that music and, like, turn it into something for the 21st century? The most brilliant thing that the James Bond franchise does is take a theme song that everybody knows and infuse it into the world of pop music. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Okay, so when we think spy film now, we think about these unique combination of elements. But what sets James Bond apart from all espionage films is that it crosses over into the world of pop. Starting with the third film, Goldfinger, the opening sequence begins with a pop song mm. in an orchestral format performed by Shirley Bassey. Here's Goldfinger from 1964. Goldfinger! Goldfinger! I see you laughing right now, but I just never listened too closely to the lyrics of this. 
Here's the thing, Nate. This song went to number eight on the Hot 100. People dug it. Yeah. No, and and I dig it. I just didn't remember that it rhymed Goldfinger with Coldfinger. That's all. (laughs) I just had to smile. I also remember that it's like a tango. I'm I'm feeling it. It's cool. It's a great track. And it's the foundation for an entire legacy of music that is kind of its own thing. This song is a total hybrid because in addition to being a pop song to get us in the mood for a James Bond film that's going to give us a little bit of exposition – In this case, Goldfinger is going to be the arch nemesis of the film. Mm. The song also operates as orchestration that's going to be referenced throughout the rest of the movie. You can hear, for example, in the soundtrack, John Barry uses those same themes. In studying up on how these themes intersect, I found a book called The James Bond Songs, Pop Anthems of Late Capitalism, which argues that the Bond song is kind of its own thing. It needs to be a pop song to get us excited. It needs to be soundtracking. But it's also kind of stuck in the language of the original Bond song while also needing to update it. Mm. It has a lot of jobs to fill. And one of the things that I really love about the Goldfinger song is that it hints at the original theme in this really artful way. Let's see if you can hear it. I'll play it for you on piano. Da, da. It's, um... There's a note buried in these chords that I think you're not hearing. And mm-hmm. I'm going to see if I can make a pop out by putting it on top of the chords. If I continued it... Okay, okay, so you're saying the first two notes of that undulating chromatic line that begins the original James Bond theme, dun, dun, are buried within the harmony of the opening chords of the Goldfinger theme. Yes, you've got it. (laughs) Oh, man, Charlie. That is some deep Illuminati conspiracy. Uh, I mean, I'll give it to you because it's there. But yeah, okay, okay. So it's in the same sound world as Bond in this very subtle way. That's right. John Barry is a celebrated composer. Countless films under his belt, including 11 Mm. Bond films in total. He knows what he's doing here. He knows he's got to be referencing that earlier thing, making something new. And all the following composers that come along to work on James Bond are still playing with this original material. He may be talented, but he's no Reginald Fletcher. Excuse me? Or Nigel John. Huh? Timothy Joseph. Are you just putting together two names that are first yeah, names? Yeah, yeah. But, but no, he is, he is talented. He is talented. I'll give John Barry that. And they're all, and they're, and they're all men's names because film composing is uh, a bit backwards in its representation? Well, they're, uh, they're in the, the lineage of these British men with two names who have written the James <laughs> Bond song. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, you were saying John Barry knows what he's doing. With the creation of Goldfinger, John Barry takes something which is a couple of films and I think develops a franchise. Hmm. Henceforth, everyone needs to work in this same format. And this tradition continues of working with the hottest pop star of the moment, putting together a song to intro the film and provide musical material for scoring. For example, Nancy Sinatra's You Only Live Twice. You Or my absolute favorite, The World Is Not Enough by Garbage. Hmm. The world is not enough. 
Some artists even leaned so hard into the Goldfinger precedent that they actually had to pay royalties back to the original artists. Here's Gladys Knight's License to Kill. I dig it, but it is basically a 1980s rendition of Goldfinger. Yeah, but sing it, Gladys Knight. Damn, got some runs. Yeah, there's a lot of really fun music to go back and listen to all these Bond songs. But there's this sort of definitive shift that happens in the latest era, the Daniel Craig era, where Hmm. this franchise goes from a bunch of different espionage plots to becoming a serialized, continuous plot across five films. Mm. And to support this idea of Daniel Craig as going through one continuous adventure, the music is crafted in such a way that it's going to take you on his same journey. Whoa. All right. Play that chord again. (laughs) Give us that chord again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay, take me on that journey, Charles. I'm ready now. Okay, in 2006, the film Casino Royale comes out And it's supposed to be a return to form and an origin story in particular. Mm. It's got to set off how does James Bond begin? It's when he becomes 007 and it launches into the film with a song written by Chris Cornell that is full of energy and excitement. And even though we feel like we're in the middle of the aughts era rock, which we are, we're also taken immediately back into the past. And we are hearing those references to Dr. No and particularly to Goldfinger. Okay, so where are the musical references to the ghosts of James Bond past here? Because I'm not sure I'm hearing it. All right. It's subtle, but it's really important. The baseline from Goldfinger mm-hmm. becomes a theme that we're going to hear throughout the rest of the Daniel Craig films. Chris Cornell takes that same descending baseline and adds to it. Does it in a slightly different key. Those set of three chords become the identity for our new reinvigorated origin story, Daniel Craig, James Bond. Gotcha. But it would be incomplete to just reference a hint of Goldfinger. We need to hear that iconic James Bond melody. And of course, we do. There it is. Chris Cornell emphasizes that rising chromatic line that we know so well, the... He turns it into... 
I dig it. You hear the original, but it's been reinterpreted in this way. It sounds a little more rock and roll, a little more Western almost, too, here. It's cool. That's exactly right. In fact, David Arnold, who's the composer for the soundtrack here. and Wait, wrote... wait, wait. Shut up. David what? Arnold? Yeah, David Arnold. David Arnold? <laughs> Another two first name British male composer? Yeah. That is that is freaky now. That's uncanny. Monty Norman, John Barry, David Arnold. Something's up here. There's some conspiracy afoot. But <laughs> we'll dig into that later. Okay, tell me more. David Arnold's yeah. working on the score with Chris Cornell. Yeah, he basically said that he wanted to build it out of the DNA of the original Bond theme to use the same genetic material, quote, in a different order. Smart move if you're trying to reboot an iconic series. Yeah. In fact, they don't even play the full James Bond theme until the end of Casino Royale. Kind of like the whole thing is the origin story. We finally become Bond and we get the main theme. And David Arnold titled it, The Name is Bond, James Bond. It's the final line of the movie. Now, here's the thing. From here on out, every other song is going to stay in the same universe. When we move into the next film, Quantum of Solace, Jack White and Alicia Keys take what Chris Cornell did with David Arnold and give it yet another new face. Here's another way to die. There are those three chords again. We've got our orchestration, we've got some jazziness happening, but most of all, we have that descending three-note bass line. Mm. There it is, James Bond theme redux, 21st century edition. We hear the exact same thing in Adele's Skyfall. of destiny yet again. For the next film, Spectre, Sam Smith takes that same theme, inverts it, plays the chords upside down. And it's fitting because this is a film where he's kind of like coming back into form, (laughs) rising from the ashes, if you will. But let's get to today, Billie Eilish's version of No Time to Die. We find ourselves with James Bond, retired, reborn, and revisiting his entire past. The song written by Billie Eilish, Mile Ale, and Phineas, produced by Phineas Stephen Lipson, and arranged by Hans Zimmer, picks up that same chord progression. No Time to Die doesn't just try to wrap up the Daniel Craig era. It also is trying to be a bookend to, in a certain way, the entire series. 
And so Hans Zimmer, who did the arrangement on the song No Time to Die and the entire soundtrack, has the task of taking this evolved James Bond theme that went from Goldfinger through Chris Cornell and David Arnold that peaks up through every single Daniel Craig film. He needs to take that theme, unite it with the original theme, and close everything out in a nice, tight bow. Hmm. So our gun barrel scene begins with our familiar Bond theme, but then the bass moves down to those Casino Royale, Chris Cornell chords. Mm. And they unite in our main theme. (laughs) I love that, Chuck, because when I'm watching the movies, I'm aware of the score and the kind of suspense and intrigue that I'm generating. But what I'm not thinking about is how it's actually like referencing the whole history of this franchise and the subtle harmonic shifts that have taken place over the years. And that it's really like making its own kind of musical cinematic argument about the fate and the future of this franchise. I dig it. I'm excited to go watch No Time to Die and be listening for these musical layers uh, unless I get you know swept up in the action of it or something. Switched on Pop is produced by Nate Sloan and me, Charlie Harding. We're engineered by Brandon McFarland, edited by Jolie Myers, social media by Abby Barr, illustrations by Iris Gottlieb. Our executive producers are Nashat Karwa and Hannah Rosen. We're a member of the Vox Media Podcast Network and a production of Vulture. You can find more episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts and always our website, www.switchedonpop.com. Also, hit us up on the socials, the Twitter, the Instagram, at switchedonpop. We want to know what's your favorite Bond theme and... Who do you want to hear do the next Bond theme? We'll see you next Tuesday, and until then, thanks Thanks for for listening. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.